So there was this worker at a factory, and it was the end of the day, and he took a small cardboard box, and he put it in a wheelbarrow, and he began to push it toward the exit and out into the parking lot. And as he was going along the way, he came to the security checkpoint, and the security guard asked him, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm just taking this box out to my car. And the security guard asked, well, what's in the box? And he said, well, you know, at the end of every day, across the factory floor, there's all kinds of sawdust. And that sawdust gets swept up and eventually just gets thrown away. Well, I needed some of that sawdust at home. And so I put it in this box and I'm taking it home with me. And the security guard said, well, open the box. And he opens the box and sure enough, there's sawdust in it. And so the security guard says, go about your day. The next evening, as he finishes work, he puts a cardboard box in a wheelbarrow and he gets to the same security guard. And the security guard says, what's in the box? And he says, same as yesterday, it's sawdust from the work floor. And and he opens a box, security guard sees it, go about your day. Day three, same thing. Day four, same thing. Day five, puts the box in the wheelbarrow. Dry, uh, going out toward his car. And all of a sudden, the security guard has a little bit different tone. He says, What's, what are you doing? What's going on? He said, well, I've, I've already told you. It's the same thing that was happening every day this week. And it's just a cardboard box full of sawdust. And the security guard says, well, open the box. And he does. And sure enough, he sees the sawdust. And the security guard says, well, I just have to be honest with you. There's something in me that makes me feel like you're stealing something from the factory. Like, I just don't know what it is, but what I'll say to you is this. I won't report you no matter what you tell me, but for my own peace of mind, will you please tell me what it is that's going on? And the worker says, all right then, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. (laughs) And the point of the story is there's a lot of things happening in our world today where we're really focused on a small cardboard box and we've lost vision on some things that are more like wheelbarrows, that are bigger picture type things. And that's what this series is gonna be talking about as we start to address friendships and actually the disappearance of deep friendships that's happening in American society across religion, and everywhere else that's going on right now. In fact, I can share with you some numbers. There's been a really dramatic shift in the idea of friendship from the late 90s to today. So 25, 30-year time frame, there has been this radical shift. So back in the late 90s, there was a study done of how many people in America have at least one person they would call a really close friend. And the number was 97%. Like literally almost everybody had that deep, close friend. Today, that's down in the 80s. Back in that same study in the 90s, they asked how many Americans had at least three or more really close friends. And the answer they got back then was 75%. Same study today, under 50%. So you're seeing these dramatic drops in the amount of friends, close friends that people have. And that corresponds directly then with loneliness. You're seeing a growth in loneliness that's unlike anything we've experienced in in our modern era and definitely is different than 30 years ago. For those of you that are single out there, 
Single people are reporting high levels of loneliness at 60%. That's more than half of the people in America who are single are saying, I'm lonely. So if you think getting married is the solution to that, here's some information for you. Do you know how many or what percent of married people say they're lonely? 60%. It's no different. It doesn't make any difference if you're married or single. The likelihood that you're experiencing some loneliness in your day-to-day life is the same. Two groups stood out in these studies that are much more lonely than other groups. The first was moms, moms with kids at home. And the second is Gen Z. So our Gen Z folks, they are at 80%. The moms were at 70%. And there's some of you that go, you know, well, I don't know if I relate to all of that. Well, some of you are into economics, The U.S. Department of Labor says that the economic impact of loneliness, absenteeism at work, lack of production is around $154 billion last fiscal year. $154 billion, if thrown into the U.S. economy, would be a 15% bump immediately. So our loneliness and our lack of deep connected relationships is not only affecting us personally, but it's affecting our nation from an economic standpoint. It's also a contributing factor into America's health crisis. Do you know that the Surgeon General will tell you that being lonely consistently and not having those deep connected friendships is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes every day? That's an impact on your fitness or your health, your physical health of around smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And we know that's not good for us. And so this idea that we are struggling in areas of friendship and deep connection is not something we should take lightly. We need people in our lives that are deep and close friends. We need people that we would call 2 a.m. friends. When everything's going bad, we can pick up the phone at 2 a.m. and they'd be there for us. Sometimes when we think of friendship, especially for guys, we think of it around activity like skiing, hiking, you know, fishing, golf, whatever. And those things are good. And you can do that with deep friends. But often what ends up happening in those circumstances is it's more of a surface level conversation. You don't really get into stuff. And the getting into stuff is what you need to do to really grow that friendship. You need friendships where those people know things about you that very, very few people know. You need friendships that are full of people that know the good about you, obviously, but also the bad and definitely the ugly. As you ponder the friendships in your life, do you have those friends that inspire you to great things? Do you have those friends that understand the things that break your heart and change your day? And so, To begin this conversation that's going to span the next several weeks, what I want to do is offer up a a quick biblical validation that friendship is not only something that is obviously good, because I don't think anyone would sit there and say, well, I wouldn't expect friendship to be a biblical principle, but I actually want to make the argument that it is foundational to not only who we are created to be, but who God is himself. So to do that, we're going to jump right to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God, the word God there in Hebrew 
is Elohim. Elohim is a plural noun. It is a plural word to describe God. And as we of the Christian faith know, God is one God with three parts. We call that the Trinity. And those three parts are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If you go to verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We already see the Trinity beginning to appear right here at the beginning in Genesis. Then verse 3 and on you might remember the God speaks lines that happen. Like God says, let there be light. And there was light. And the gospel of John teaches us that Jesus is the word of God. When God speaks, Jesus is a part of that. And so right there at the very beginning in Genesis, we've got the Trinity present. And the Trinity is three persons as one God. Those three persons though, if you were going to describe their relationship, I think you would describe it as a friendship. It's not a romantic relationship, obviously. It's a, it's a friendship. It's a deep, intimate connectedness that is eternal and almost unfathomable to us. But what I want you to see is the very character of God is this idea of that deep, intimate friendship. Later in Genesis 1, verse 26, God says... Let us, plural, make mankind in our plural image, in our likeness. That God had this vision for man that would involve connectedness and everything else. And then we get into Genesis 2, and the Lord God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I think often we take that and we go, oh, Adam and Eve and husband and wife and marriage. And not that that's not true, because that's clearly a piece of that. But I think to limit the idea of man, it is not good to be alone to just marriage would be a travesty based on the entirety of scripture. That it's got to have an impact of this idea of friendship as well. So that is where friendship is found in the creation and the person of God himself. But the Old Testament also speaks of all these different friendship relationships that we should pay attention to. I'd like to point out a couple. One is Jonathan and David. So Jonathan is the son of Saul, who's the first king of Israel, and David is his best friend. David has been anointed by God to become the next king. And if you understand how kings usually work, the son usually gets that. Well, Jonathan's not getting the throne, David is. And yet their relationship is extremely close. It's described in 1 Samuel 18 this way. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. In verse three, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. As David and Jonathan's relationship is described, it is this friendship that is so close and intimate that these two were of same spirit, same mind. Then Jonathan gets killed, 2 Samuel chapter one, and David writes this, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. David says, my friendship with Jonathan was more intimate, more deep, more connected than even it would have been if I had been married to a woman. Another 
friendship that comes up is in Ruth. Two women, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is the, is the mother-in-law of Ruth. Naomi experiences tragedy. Her husband and all of her sons are killed at the same time. Obviously, one of those sons was Naomi, or sorry, was Ruth's husband. So the two women are trying to figure out how are we going to go forward? What is our relationship going to look like going forward since now we are left alone in the world together? And Ruth says this, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. The way that friendship is going to go forward, and you can read about it in the book of Ruth, is those two are super tight for the rest of everything we know about their lives. And they end up, it turns out later that Ruth actually is really significant in keeping Naomi in a good place, especially when it comes to uh, housing and having a place to live. So you've got the creation, you see friendship. You've got friendships personified in the Old Testament. Then in the Old Testament, there's these books called the wisdom literature. And they are the books that just speak wisdom into our lives. And I want to point out a couple things there. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This idea of friendship, right? Like if I go down, I've got my guys to pick me up or my girls to pick me up. That we need those relationships to be viable. And then it continues in verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It expands the thought, right? Like having one friend is awesome, but add a second in and all of a sudden that's that unbreakable rope or strand that we see as well. In the Proverbs, there's a couple of Proverbs I'll point to you. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You keep kind of hearing this thought that maybe in some cases, friends are actually closer than family. I think about a lot of us that are transplants. There's a lot of people in Bozeman that have moved here in the last five years or 10 years, and you've left family in other parts of the country, and you've moved to this amazing place to live, but that does leave a hole because you leave behind those friendships that you had where you were. My wife and I have moved a bunch of times. I used to be a college basketball coach, and we would move, and every time we would move, we would literally have the pep talk, okay, we've got to find our next group of people. And that's been true of every place that we've been throughout our marriage. So we've talked in the Old Testament. Let's talk New Testament. Let's talk Jesus. Jesus had these relationships and he, exam he was an example of this for us. In John 11, Jesus goes to where his buddy Lazarus is dying. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept when he saw that his buddy was dead and then his enemies, the Jews, in verse 36 said, see how he loved him. 
How is it that the enemies of Jesus recognize the depth of the friendship that Jesus had with Lazarus? And then as his ministry is winding down, I'll point you to John chapter 15, where Jesus is hosting the Last Supper. And he's giving kind of his last thoughts to his guys before he goes to the cross. And in John 15, 13, it says, he says to them, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he continues a thought in verse 15. And he says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Think about that for a second. When Jesus invests in his friends, it's all cards out there. He's putting everything on the table. Everything that I could teach you that the father has taught me, I am sharing with you, my friends, my disciples. And Jesus had lots of different relationships during his ministry. He had the crowds, the big, large masses, and he taught to them, but they didn't really have that relationship. They just heard his words. Then he had about 75 disciples and those folks had a little more interaction with them. Some of them more, some of them less, but they had some interaction with him. Then there were the 12, the disciples, and, and they were in relationship. They were together all the time. They knew everything that was going on, the emotions, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad. But then there were three, and they're identified in the gospels consistently, Peter, John, and James, that they had a special relationship with Jesus. They had a depth and a closeness and an intimacy that exceeded what others around him had. And so if this idea of these deep connected relationships is part of who God is in his character, it's part of the example we're given, it's part of the wisdom we've been handed, and it's the example that Jesus played out for us, would it not make sense that we would invest some time to really understand what does this look like and what does it mean and how do we do this well? And so that's what this series is going to cover. So I'll ask a couple of questions here as we think about this. Like, how do I make those friends? Like, how do I find my people? How do I find the people that I'm going to be really deep and close with if I've moved here recently? Or I just need those people in my lives. And so what I've done is read a ton of research that's happened over the last 30 years. And I've got some things that I want to do to introduce us to this concept as we move in to this series. The first thing I want you to know is that research is very clear how long it takes to make friends. If you meet somebody, they're an acquaintance, shake their hand at a dinner party or whatever it might be, and it takes 50 hours before you would call them a casual friend, before there's enough exchange that they are actually a casual friend. Then for them to go from a casual friend to a real friend, someone that really has some insight into you, that takes 90 hours. If you want them to go from being just, just a friend, a good, you know, a casual, excuse me, a real friend to someone who is a very deep friend, someone who is a close friend, that takes over 200 hours of that interaction between us. Now, what, what counts in that interaction? Well, it's one-on-one -on -one time. It's, it's time in small groups. It's when we do some things together. It's when we're on the phone potentially talking. We share meals. We have experiences, etc. What is it not? 
What it's not is things like text and email and Snapchat and Instagram, things like Facebook. When we do things in that forum, we can maintain relationships, but to take it to a close friend, we have got to have that interaction that's live, whether that's on the phone or whether that's in person, one-on-one, or in groups. And research says, depending on who you are and how you're wired and everything else, for optimal health, you need four to six of these relationships in your life. Four to six. So let's just pick five as kind of a, a median number and say, okay, the average person needs five of these relationships to be in the best possible place they can be. And it takes 200 hours to develop those relationships. If you sit here right now and you say, I probably don't have anyone that I would put in that really deep, close, intimate relationships category, you've got a thousand hours of work to invest to get to that point. If you have one or two, obviously you've got, you know, however many requisite hours that would lead you to. But to get five people that you have that depth of relationship with would take a thousand hours and a thousand hours is roughly half a year of 40-hour work weeks. So to get all five of those, it would take you that much effort. That's, that's the kind of effort you have to put in if you want this. This has to be highly intentional. This is not going to just happen because you're a nice person with a, with a pretty smile. Like you actually have to make an effort, and obviously it has to be reciprocated as well. But when we look at the, the research, the things we started with, we say, wait a minute, friendships in the 90s, late 90s to 2020 is plummeting. The deep friendships are. Why is that? Like, why is that happening? Is there a possible, like, actual explanation that might help me along this journey to think, how can I have these kinds of relationships? And I think the answer is yes, because research shows there are three very distinct things that are causing this trend. They've done research, again, for the last 30 years, and the number one factor, not like the most important factor, but the first factor I'll point to you is we work more than our peers did in the 1990s. It's about a 10% growth in hours per week that we work. So if you work about 10% more, it's about three or four more hours of work per week that you're putting in than the same you would have in 1997, let's say. That's not that much time, but it is just one of the three factors. So three to four hours a week, we've given to work instead of putting that into relationships that allow us to go deep. The second factor is one that exactly zero people in the room are not expecting me to say, and that is technology. Here's a crazy thing, like, this didn't dawn on me until I started this preparation, but think about this. Do you realize that the internet became widely available to the general public in the late, late, late 1990s? Before that, it was just a private entity. So we, as people, didn't even have access to it in the 90s, those of us that were here in the 90s, me included. So the internet came about in the 90s. Early 2000s, the first couple years of the 2000s, you know what came about? Smartphones. Smartphones became widely popular in the early 2000s. And then a couple years after that, mid-2000s, 
Now you had social media taking over. And if you take those three elements, the internet, smartphones, and social media, you may not realize this, but you, if you're average, spend two and a half hours a day isolated alone, engaged in those things. Two and a half hours a day is 17 and a half hours a week that you're committed to that. Now think about this though. When, when I was hanging out in the 90s, those weren't, they weren't even options. Like I couldn't have put time to that. I had to put time to something else because they didn't exist. But today they are like prevalent to the point of like who doesn't have the internet, smartphones, and have some contact with social media. And so if that is the case, you add those 17 plus hours to the three or four hours of work, you're at like 21 hours a week. That's a part-time job that we have given away our time. We've just given it away to things that are taking away from relationship and friendship. Now, the third element, I... I I already preached this, so I guarantee you some of you will push back on this, but I'm sharing what the research tells you. The third element that is most common, and it won't affect everybody in the room, but it will affect a lot of you, and that is how parents are spending time with their kids. In the 90s, the average parent spent, on average, about 30 minutes a day with their kids. 30 minutes a day with their kids. And for those of us that kind of were growing up, I was a little before that, but, but around that, there was this phrase called latchkey kids, where kids would come home from school and they had to open the door. They had a key to unlock the door to get home because the parents weren't around. And some of us experienced that. And there was this idea that on the pendulum, that was probably unhealthy, like that there probably should be more uh, a presence for parents in their kid's life. But what's happened in the last 30 years is that has gone to the other extreme, Now, research tells us that parents are spending, on average, two hours a day committed to their kids. Two hours every single day committed to their kids. And some of you right now are scratching your head going, is he really standing up there and saying that spending time with your kids is a bad thing? I am. In in this way. That we've become over-focused on our kids. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to back that up with some thoughts here that I want you to to really ponder, especially if you might be one of those parents. If you're spending an extra 90 minutes a day dedicated to your kids and involved in that, two things are true. One is you are not spending those 90 minutes developing adult friendships. And two, your kids are not spending 90 minutes a day developing peer friendships. Because you're taking that time from them. They don't have the ability to do that. And what you're then seeing is kids aren't as good at making friends. Then you start thinking about the next step of that. Who are the two loneliest groups in America right now? Moms with kids at home and Gen Z. What's Gen Z's date range? 1998 to 2020. Any correlation there? All of this is coming together at the same time. So you have the loneliest generation of young people that we've ever had that don't know how to make friends because their parents were kind of that for them in some regard. And so they don't have those skills 
that they would otherwise have. And the moms are super lonely because the kids can't replace the adult interaction, the adult relationships that friends produce. And so you've got this kind of multiplying effect. But it goes to another step. If I, as a parent, as an adult, are spending more time with my kids, so therefore I'm not spending as much time with my adult friends, and those adult friends are just less involved in my life, and my kids are not around them as well. So those adult friends are not speaking into my kid's life as much as maybe they would have done in past generations. And there are study after study after study that shows that within the church, that young people are more and more likely to leave the church when they leave the home. And the reason that they're more likely to do that is because the number one reason that kids stay in faith when they leave the church or when they leave the home is the interactions they had with non-family adult members of faith. And so if you don't have interactions with your friends and then your kids don't have that, that's the number one reason ultimately that potentially those kids will leave the faith. So putting all that together, whether you have kids or not, it's 21 hours a week that's gone if you don't have kids, 31 hours a week if you do have kids. If you put all of that on the table, you it's, it's just we've reinvested our time differently than our brothers and sisters did 30 years ago. And that reinvestment has led to a drop in relationships. And we need those deep, deep connected relationships. So we as people need to do a couple things. One, we need to take a really strong inventory. Do I need to reprioritize my time? whether that's around technology or work or my kids, and reinvest that time into one, two, three, four, five close friends that can fill my soul and build me up. Because that's what this series is all about. How are we going to develop those deep and intimate friendships and make that a priority? And my hope for you is that you'll engage with us over the next five weeks. And I know it's feeling like summer, summer, summer out there and you're heading camping and all kinds of stuff's going on. And it's all good. That's part of the beauty of living in Montana. But engage with us. Be here when you can be here. Join us online. Because what you need to do if you don't have those friendships is these next five weeks, what we're going to unpack are some of those key skills and thought processes that you need to engage with to to get those relationships. And at the same time, if you have some friendships, this is going to give you a great lens to really evaluate. Are those relationships truly the ones and at the depth that they need to be? Because I think especially, and I speak for myself and I speak for a lot of guys, a lot of times those relationships are a little bit more surface level than we care to admit. And the things we're going to be talking about are going to allow you to go, is it this level or is it really where it needs to be and what I need to do with that. So the last thing I want to leave you with, the last thought is this. Mark chapter two, Jesus is in Capernaum and he's teaching in this house. It's early in his ministry, but the house is packed, absolutely full to the rafters. It's so full that people are outside the walls. They're looking through the windows and the doorways and the street around the house is full. 
And there's these four friends that have a fifth friend. And the fifth friend is a paralytic. And these four guys get it in their mind that if we can get our boy in front of Jesus, something cool could possibly happen. And so they pick him up on his mat and they take him toward the house, but they can't get in the house because it's packed and the street's packed. And so they go up onto the roof of the house. Those are cool friends that they'll lift their paralytic buddy up onto the roof of the house. But then they dig through the roof of the house, the adobe or whatever it is. And then they drop and lower him down right in front of Jesus's feet. Such a cool image. I want those kinds of friends that are going to like do that for me. They'll tear apart a house to get me where I need to be. But here's what happens. And here's what it says in Mark chapter two, verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, plural, not the faith of the guy in front of him. That's not the faith he's talking about. When he saw their faith, these four guys, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Like, how cool is that? That your friends are so committed to you that they put you in that position. Like those I would consider to be deep, the deep kind of friendships that we want to have, those 2 a.m. type friends. So that's what we're going to be talking about coming up. I want you to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful for Everybody who is here today and listening to us online, I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts of the, the significance of friendship and what we need to invest in it from our time and where we need to go with this, Lord. I pray that you would be using these next weeks to impact us, to change us, to mold us, to bring us forward in an honest evaluation of where we're at and that you would speak to us on how we can move forward. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.